There are many times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that we can read a passage of Scripture and really think God is unfair. That's because we're fleshly and God is righteous. True righteousness is the way God sees the situation. But because we have our own flesh and thinkings of this world often are planted inside our minds, we can think God is unfair. And especially today, because the world has become so unrighteous in their thinking, discipline has evaporated. Just in the last few decades, and has grown farther away from the morality that God has shown us through the Bible. If you really want to know what God is like, consider the examples in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, which show God so clearly. You can have the wrong image of God easily. I have so many times heard people say things like, my God would never do that. When I hear them say that, I just kind of shudder and then I stare at them like, I don't think you know God. Now, these are church people I'm talking of. If you want to see the real God, look at the examples in the Old Testament, especially of what man did and the way God judged it and dealt with man. For you see more of a purity, and we get a much stronger glimpse of what God is going to be like when he judges us at the judgment seat of Christ. For we will all appear at the judgment seat of Christ, and at that time we receive that which we have done down here on this earth, whether good or bad. And the good or bad is going to be the way God views what we are doing. Let's look at this judgment seat of Christ thing for just a moment. That is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting at verse 9. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him, of God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're going to be judged by the New Testament Bible. We are going to be judged by a righteous God who sees things in a righteous way. The closer we can get to the New Testament Bible, the better our chances at the judgment seat of Christ. If we can learn to see through the eyes of God in a better way, I think we have a better chance. For today, so many people judge through the eyes of other humans. 
and what they think about it. It won't make any difference at all what other humans think about what we do. The thing that will matter is what does God think. Righteousness is that which is right in the sight of God. Verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. I think the Old Testament is extremely valuable in showing us the view God has concerning that which men on the earth do. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, Paul explains, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience, and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. All these examples in the Old Testament Bible are given for our edification, to give us hope, to give us comfort, and to give us more understanding, although real understanding comes from God. But often when we read it, God will open our eyes to understand better. But we definitely are going to see the view of God by the examples of the Old Testament. Today, let's look at David. He was a man after God's own heart. And yet he committed two really great sins. And God judged him and pronounced a sentence upon David through his prophet. Very often God will use prophets for just exactly that to warn the people, but also when it's gone too far to pronounce a judgment on the people. David desired Bathsheba, another man's wife. Uriah, her husband, was in the army of David serving against the enemies of God. While Uriah was in the army, David saw Bathsheba, coveted after her, got her, had sex with her, and she conceived a child by David. David did it in secret, of course. But it's going to be known to all because God is going to make it known to all. And that's the way it is. A lot of times with the things man does in secret, they come out to judge him before all. David's first plan, when he found Bathsheba was with child, he was going to get Uriah back from the army so Uriah could go to his house and have sex with Bathsheba and nobody would know the child was not of Uriah. So David recalls him from the army and brings him back to Jerusalem. But Uriah has a, a strong nobility in him. He refuses to go to his own house to have sex with Bathsheba while the men are fighting at the front. He refuses to enter into humanly ple human pleasures while his friends are in battle. So he just stays at the gate of David's house 
and doesn't go to his house. And all the witnesses know that Uriah did not go to his house. So David has another plan. He gets Uriah drunk. And he wants Uriah then to go to his house. But Uriah refuses. So David sets up his third plan, which is to murder Uriah. And he's going to murder him. It's it's really incredible because David is going to murder Uriah by sending him to the front of the battle and having his own men back up a little so Uriah will get killed. It's basically murder. And David sent the order to his captain of the armies by the hand of Uriah. Uriah carried his own death sentence in his own hand back to the front lines to give to the captain. This is a remarkable story because it shows something of sin as well as in a minute we're going to see the penalties of God and look at them closely. Because, make no mistake about it, sin carries penalties with it. 2 Samuel chapter 11 And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab, that's his captain, and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came unto him. And he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Now this is where the problem comes because Uriah couldn't possibly be the father of the child because he's in the front lines with the army. And David sent to Joab, his captain, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did. Now this is pure hypocrisy. David is interested in one thing, and that is killing Uriah or covering up the, the sin through Uriah going to his house and sleeping with Bathsheba so people will think the child is of Uriah. But he first inquires, this is dissimulation. David first asks how Joab does and how the people did and the war prospered. 
And David said to Uriah, now here's the real purpose, go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house. And there followed him a mess of meat from the king. It's going to be a real banquet. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, all these witnesses, and went not down to his house. So David's got a problem. And when they told David, saying, Uriah went not down to his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down to thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul livest, I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he, David, made him, Uriah, drunk. And at even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his lord, but went not down to his house. So David has to come up with another plan, and that is to kill Uriah. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab, who's his captain of his army, and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And David wrote in his letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. Incredible. Uriah carried his own death sentence by his own hand and gave it to the captain of the army. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. So David has accomplished his purpose. By killing Uriah. But God sees everything. You might do it in secret, but it won't be hidden from God. Basically, inwardly, we who are Christians have to want to please God. The motive of our heart must be to do what is right in the sight of God. We must have in us a great feeling of horror if we were to do 
the wrong thing in the sight of God. That must be our motivation. Doing that which is right in the sight of God. God sees everything the human does and judges. And God is righteous. Very often God sends a prophet to the human to show that human what he has done. Sometimes it's going to be a judgment brought upon the human by that prophet, by the will of God. And the Lord sent Nathan the prophet unto David. And he came unto him and said, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, and it did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock. He didn't want to kill one of his own flock. So he took this ewe lamb away from the poor man and killed it. David was furious when he heard this story. It says, And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan the prophet said to David, Thou art the man. Now the prophet of God is going to pronounce judgment from God upon King David. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, says Nathan. I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house, and thy master's wives into thy bosom. And I gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. At this point, the kingdom hasn't been divided yet. So it's one kingdom, the nation of Israel. And if that had been too little, God said, I would have moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now the penalties are going to be pronounced upon David. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, said God, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. So this is the first penalty put upon David. The sword will never depart from your house. You will have war and not peace in your lifetime. 
Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, Absalom. Absalom, the son of David, is going to rise up and be a thorn in David's flesh for years and years and years. And Absalom will, Absalom will try to take over being king even while David is living. So thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. It's bad if evil comes, but if it comes from your own children, that's another level of anguish. And I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. In other words, in the sight of all. For thou did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, that thou shalt not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born into thee shall surely die. David's son, or the child, Bathsheba, that he has with Bathsheba, is going to die. Now, the child did nothing. And someone might say, well, why did God kill the child? Why didn't he kill David? David did great sins, but he was still a righteous man. Which would be the greater penalty? For God to kill David, or for David to have to see the child die because of his sin? Which would be the greater penalty upon David? The greater penalty was pronounced upon David. He was going to watch for seven days as that child died, knowing that he was the reason the child was dying. And the child had done nothing. That would be a terrible thing to have to see. And that's what David had to see. Though David fasted and pled for the child, God would not change the sentence. And Nathan the prophet departed into his own house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore sought the Lord God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. But God would not change his sentence. David watched for seven days, and then the child died. So this was a great penalty upon David. If we sin, we hurt other people. I've often seen on television men do things and then say, I did it for my family. No, they hurt their family by doing the sin. The sin of robbery or the sin of some type of extortion. And then they get caught. And when they're sent to jail, they'll say, 
I did it all for my family. We have to understand when we sin, we hurt everybody. Adultery and fornication are terrible sins and bring much harm to many people. I know a story of a woman in our little church group who was married and at work became attracted to another man. And she yielded to the temptation, committed fornication against her husband, became pregnant, had an abortion, killed her baby. She and her first husband divorced, and then she remarried, and she and her second husband divorced, and she still wanted another husband. How much evil can you do in this lifetime? How much more evil do you have to do to satisfy your flesh? Actually, our flesh is never satisfied. It just wants more. Therefore, we by the Spirit of God rise up and keep the flesh under control. And we refuse to let the flesh have the food it wants. For we know it's evil now. We who are born of God know it's evil. So we don't let it rule. But just how much evil, how much more evil do we want to do in this lifetime? Is, haven't we done enough? It's a terrible thing. Love toward your neighbor would never permit you to do adultery or fornication because if you love other people, you will not hurt them. Love controls us. Also, if we do those sins that we want to do, we might get to live to see the consequences of our sins. I'm not sure that a woman who commits has abortion, I'm not sure she can ever forget the child she murdered. Even if your sins are forgiven, I'm not sure you can ever forget it. You might have to live with the consequences of your sins for the rest of your life. The Word of God should rule over us. After we're born again, the rules set forth in the New Testament should rule over us. For the rules are freedom from sin as we do them. Much truth can come as we look into these examples in the Old Testament. And we can see parallels in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul warned, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Every scripture that I have quoted today is printed for you on our blog. If you will go to Jesus Ministries Exhortations, 
On the right-hand side of the home page, tap on Podcast. You can bring up this exact recording with every scripture that I have spoken on the recording. The title of this recording is Humans Often View God as Unfair. Again, the blog name is Jesus Ministries Exhortations. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you today.